Welcome back to this chat with Harness Racing trainer, Group 1 winner, Michael Brennan. Hope you're enjoying the show. Jess and I have certainly enjoyed the opportunity to be able to sit down with one of the real personalities of our sport. Now, as you heard in Part A, we talked about Michael's journey from basically being an elite hockey player who went on and did the unthinkable, won the only gold medal Australia has ever won at an Olympic Games at Athens in 2004. Now, that came off the back of some relative disappointment in Sydney right here in 2000 when the Australian men's hockey team won the bronze medal. They were tipped to win the gold. It didn't quite happen. What came after that for Michael was... Well, somewhat of a downward spiral. So this story is the story of a man who found a way to pick himself up, go on, win a gold medal, and then reassess his goals and his focus. And he turned his attention to our sport and what a success he has become. Here is part B with Group 1 winning harness racing trainer, Michael Brennan. How do you reflect on winning a gold medal made at the Olympics? Yeah, look, it was... Um, it was and once again, mine's a good a bit of a different story because that's sort of the way that's the way I roll <laughs> I like to do things and stuff things up and dig myself out of holes and that sort of makes a lot makes life you know interesting and enjoyable but um we Sydney was um like I played in Sydney before before we went went to Athens and and Sydney was a very very difficult tournament for us um we we won bronze. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. We, won, we won bronze, a bronze medal at our, at our home Olympics. Uh, extra time um, penalty shootout. Extra time wasn't penalty shootout. Livers, and livers it, with the livers yeah. missed. Yes, and um, it, that was it. Was one of them. You know, obviously you, you do a lot of. Uh, I've done a lot of keynote speaking and all that sort of stuff following um, Sydney and Athens, um, and it was one of them tournaments where we were so good, um, but still didn't get the result. You know, like it was very, very difficult to, um, you know, one of our, one of our, it's one of my career lowlights, uh, but one of my career highlights as well, uh, is the fact that we got beat in that semi-final. We were the only team to go throughout the competition, not losing, Sydney. not losing, yeah, in yeah. Sydney, and not losing yeah. in regulation time, yep. and yet we still walk away with a bronze. But what made it a highlight for me was the way that, you know, after this losing that way in a semi-final. Uh, when all your family and friends are there, um, going away, having a few beers that night, and then stepping back up from the greatest disappointment that any of us have experienced, and coming out two days later and absolutely smashing the pants off Pakistan. You know, like we beat them six bronze, three. Yeah, because you play off again, don't you? Yeah, for bronze medal. Um, and that was yeah. that to me. That was a highlight, and it, that that personified and encompassed what it was to be a kookaburra yeah. and what it is to be an Australian sportsman, you know, like that, get down and, you know, like dig yourself out of a big hole and come back and do do what you can. So following, following that, I, you know, I went and played in Europe for a year um, and then I come back and I was just, just sort of lost um, and went through a little bit of depression, um, went to get on a plane to come to Sydney from Melbourne and I couldn't, couldn't get on the plane. Yeah. I just... You know, I've flown all around the world hundreds of times. That's probably before mental health was really a thing, yes, you know. Hundred percent it was. It was yeah. yeah. And I turned around, I was ready to board a plane to do a coaching clinic up here. Um, turned around, went back to where I was living, uh, rang the Jack family when they were still living in Urin Quinney and said I'm coming up for the weekend. Went up for the weekend and stayed for twelve months. Wow. And that was where my affinity with 
harness racing horses. And once again, that's that that's that inbuilt psyche that yep. you know the harness racing fraternity has. You know, I went there for a, I went there for a weekend. Stayed for a year, and yeah. they 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 looked after me for so a year. So did you know? Like, obviously, you must have known. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how, yeah, how did you know? Uh, I met them through uh, through Daniel Jack. Um, you know, we we'd owned a couple of horses together, but we'd always sort of caught up. And and uh, at that stage, Adam Commons, who's Russell Commons's son, um, we were in horses together as well because we were both playing oh, hockey both together. Playing, yep. Um, we lived together for a long time, Adam and I. So we'd sort of met through, you know, like Adam being back in Wagga and then I'd go back to Wagga and, you know, we'd, we'd catch up with the Jack family. So that was how I sort of got involved with them. And, um, you know, then that 12 months, they just, they dragged me out of a hole. Um, and Russell taught me so much, you know, like it's, um, yep. and so I, for the next couple of years, I um, just sort of did horses. Um, and then um, about October, I think it was October 2003, um, I got crook and um, had some sort of virus and just stripped the weight. But I was still playing a little bit of club. I could just strip the weight. And I thought, oh, I might actually give this another go. So I rang the coach at the time, uh, Barry Dancer and Colin Bash. I rang them and said, listen, you know, I'm thinking about coming back. They said, oh, well, you just got to do what you got to do, you know, like you got to prove yourself. Um, so I went back, did a beat test, uh, smashed that, and then flew myself over to, to Perth. Um, I wasn't part of any scholarship, wasn't part of any squads. I trained on my own for three months um, and then they put me into a, a, like a development squad um, and from then on in, you know, it was just, I just, uh, yeah, they put me back into the national squad. See, that was, they probably gave you credit for being so, um, being so humbled by going back into the development campaign, you know, from where you'd come from, the heights to say, yeah, I'm prepared to do the hard yards to come through. Um, mate, the feeling, like it just... I'm trying to I'm trying to articulate to you to give you a sense of what a big moment this was. Now everyone's got a story about where they were when this happened. A mate of mine actually scored the goal. A mutual friend of ours, um, Jamie Dwyer, who's considered probably he's probably considered the goat, isn't he? he is the really goat. of hockey. He yeah, is the goat. Yes. And um, I was living in the UK at the time. Now the UK Olympic coverage is not like here, where it's just all it's green and gold everywhere. Yeah. We're watching the game. We're yahooing in the in the lounge room and. I don't know, cut to Estonia playing someone in volleyball or something like that very quickly. The Poms didn't want to know about us finally winning this gold medal. So um, so our moment of, of rejoicing in this was great and, and hockey's a big thing through um, my partner's family as well. But, um, mate, the moment, the feeling of a gold medal, can you – is there a way of describing it? Um, I guess it, it's, it's layered, I guess, if, if I can explain it that way. Um you know, you have the absolute elation of that that moment. Um, I was on the I was on the bench, uh, like our rotations, and I'd come off like a minute and a half before to go on to the next quarter, so that I was rested for the for the next quarter. And I was on the bench, and I remember sitting in the dugout. It's, it's, I think it's part of a Powerade ad or something like that. Yeah. There's four of us with our arms around us watching watching the corner, and it's a set play that we'd used a lot. But I still remember the ball going over the line, and that and that moment, and then a minute of that is a blur. Um, you sort of got to go back and watch it and watch it and watch it and watch it and then there's certain parts of it that comes back to you. It's like having a bad night on the grog, I reckon. It's like <laughs> <laughs> there's a bits that just come back to you. Um, so that was, yeah, just absolute elation. Like there's, and as I said, it's sort of laid, like there's, there's, there's moments of relief. There's moments of, um, uh, I guess, 
belief the belief that you had in the group um you know there's moments of sacrifice there's moments of of having your family part of it you know like i remember ringing my dad walking across the middle of the of the pitch after the game you know like he wasn't able to travel across so you know remember moments like that there's so many different there's so many different things that go into an olympic preparation um and then you then you, then you sort of at then you'll get caught thinking about the other eight guys that got you there but weren't part of the tournament, you know, like, so you start thinking about them and, you know, and then it's just, there's just different things. And then I, it, there's a long time between that full-time whistle and actually going up onto the podium. Um, and that was the best time. Yep. You know, it, it was getting back into the rooms with the boys and don't get me wrong, yep. the running around the, around the field like lunatics after, after Jamie had scored, that was fun. Yep. You know, that was a whole lot of fun, but getting back into the rooms, we had, um, John Eels was one of our, was one of our Your mentors. Uh, our mentors. Yeah. Um, uh, Laurie Lawrence was there, um, and I'm I'm pretty sure uh, the late great Peter Brock as well. Okay, yeah, ah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, sounds about right. Oh no, Brock, you might have spoken to us before Sydney. Um, I can't remember the other one, yeah. but John John Eels was the one that stands out. Yeah. You know, he's like such a great orator. Just, he talks yeah, amazingly. Yeah. It was just like we'd come back into the room um, and the support staff had brought in, um, you know, obviously we had the beers and that on ice for us and yep. support staff had brought in some, some scotch and some bourbon for the boys and all that sort of stuff. I just And I remember asking John Eels to go down, if he could go down to the, obviously the, they had Coke machines that you just tap your little little key pass toggle and you get a Coke or Parade or whatever. Asking John Eels to just to duck down and grab us some coke, <laughs> you know, like when you, you put it like you're great of Australian sport. Yeah, you, you grab us a coke, you know, like but 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 and and for him to be actually like, yeah, absolutely, yeah, like yeah. anything else you need, boys, yeah. you know, and then come back and actually have a drink with you. That's brilliant, you know, like you're just sitting there, <laughs> I, you know, like Bev and George, um, it was outstanding throughout for us through that tournament, and he's as country boy as you get. Yep. Um, and I still remember him just sitting in the ice bath, just, you know, neck and a stubby, you know, and, and like he was a guy that had to get a drip at halftime every time because yep. he'd just sweat yep. and bust his bum so much that, you know, just simple memories like that were, that were really cool. That, they, were, they were things that people Incredible. never, oh, mate, people just, never ever saw. Mate, it's just part of Australian history. I mean, just as part of me explaining this to you, I'm a, ma- if it's not, Obvious, I'm a massive Olympics nerd. And um, <laughs> I remember being at primary school. It was the LA Olympics 1984 and our teachers taking us out of class and going into a room and we watched Australia play Pakistan. Rick Charlesworth was the captain of the Australian team and watching Australia lose to Pakistan because this was a big moment for Australian sport that our hockey team might be a chance of getting a medal. I think we missed a medal altogether or we might have... Might have gone through, got bronze or something, or something like that. But we didn't get the goal. Put it that way. This was like it was almost like Dad woke me up to watch the America's Cup. You know when we won. <laughs> it was that Those hockey sort of became moments. that kind of thing. Cool. You know, it was it was just this weight on us, Australian sport. And since you guys broke, you know, broke through, we've just been the greatest team in the world when it comes to hockey. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the problem is they still have struggled to win that next gold medal, you know, yeah. like they haven't won that next gold, yeah. um, which is which just goes to show how hard it, it really is and yeah. what a great achievement it was by that group of that we group. We win everything of, else, don't we? Yeah, we that, win all the Champions yeah. trophies and World, World Cups, Cups and, and all that sort you know, of thing. Commonwealth Games, they're unbeaten. I don't think they've lost a game in yeah. I don't know how many Commonwealth Games. Oh, yeah. 
Hey, um, you, you talked about going to Europe. Um, I don't want to labour on hockey too much because we are a harness racing um, podcast, obviously, <laughs> but you talked about going to Europe. I was in India a couple of years ago and uh, caught up with Blake Govers, who was playing in the Indian Premier League hockey tournament over there, and we, I mean, he got me into the game and we watched him play in, in Mumbai. Um, have you looked at that and thought, gee, I wish that was around when I was playing hockey yeah, because I, there's, um, yeah. there's a big coin to be made. Big, yeah, well, <laughs> it's, yeah, the, the money um, when we were playing is, um, you know, I guess it's a little bit like the rugby league players and that now, you know, looking at... Volunteers, weren't you? Yeah, yeah pretty Basically, much. Oh, well, yeah. pretty much, you know, we weren't able to work. We were on very limited amount of money. Um, but you didn't do it for the money. Yeah. You know, you did it for the love of the game and, and the love of the jersey and... You know, and similar similar to harness racing, you don't do it for the for the yeah. love of money. It's yeah. um it's it's for the love of the horse and the love of the game. So, mate, obviously, you know, elite athlete, you were disciplined. You knew what it took to be excellent on the field, from conditioning and um, you know, and performance and all that. How do you take that and apply that to preparing a horse? Because human athlete, equine athlete. There's, there's got to be things that you can take out of what you know and bring it into the equine industry. Yeah, definitely. A lot of my, a lot of my training is um, is athlete performance based, um, and it's 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 quite easy to assimilate the two. Um, I guess it's probably the best way of describing it. Um, basically, the the aerobic capacity and building that aerobic base is the most important thing um, you, know, can, you can do as a, as a, as a human athlete uh, going into a, into a major tournament. And it's very much similar to, to the equine athletes. If you can build that aerobic base um, and bring... By building an aerobic base, you build the anaerobic, the anaerobic base comes with it. Um, so the greater, the greater the aerobic base, the higher the anaerobic base, higher performance, um, you know, the faster for longer you can go. Yeah. Um, so we, we do do a lot. You know, I do try as much as I can to assimilate both. Um, you know, I'm very lucky that I've got great sounding boards at home. You know, Cat's, Cat's a wonderful horsewoman um, and has, has great, great ideas in regards to a little bit different sort of stuff as well. You know, but we're very lucky with the property we've got. We've got, you know, we've got a sand track. We've got above the ground track. Um, the estuary's not far away. They can all, nearly all of them can be ridden. You know, they, they can be ridden through the bush. Um, you know, they all live in paddocks. Um, so they're... You know, for where we're at with our, with our training at the moment, it, you know, it's, they're very, very lucky um, and I'm very lucky to have all those um, options available to me. Just see, he's, he's probably a horse doing the beep test. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but probably, sorry, I, I know Jess wants to throw a question at you, but, but for me the, the challenge with that is, and this is where I think what you said before about the mind and the intuition of Fred Kersley and, you know, and Gary Hall Senior and taking a little bit of that and that's been an accrued learning for you. Horses can't talk. You as the human athlete can let your trainer know, Look, I need a spell here, I need a breather. It's the p- applying the intuition to the human style training that you put into horses and marrying that up would be so important because the horse can't tell you when they, when they need a spell. No, that's right. And I do, th- I do do things a little bit differently post-race um, throughout their preparation. My horses have a tendency to stay up for a very long time um, but still maintain that high level performance for for the individual horse you know like that might be running second or third in a level five race but they can maintain that for a very long time so i like to um give them a few more days off um but race them a little bit more sparingly um and just to different things whereas you know and and some other horses are just you can just tell that they just need they need to be 
racing every week. You know, like otherwise they're just it's just a waste of time. You just got to keep racing them every week. Yeah. But you've got to yeah. Um, Simon Miller, um, a very very good gallops trainer um, in Perth. He's he's always said um, it's very easy to train a horse hard. It's hard to train a horse easy. Um, and that's something that I sort of ha- have switched on to a little bit. Um, you know, like they don't have to be drilled all the time. Um, and it's and it's having and once again, it's just pure experience. It really is. Um, knowing and seeing things and, and thinking, all right, I stuffed that up last time. You know, like I was way too hard on that horse or I was way too light on that horse. So it's an experience thing. You know, you, you, can, you, can, pick, you can pick signs, you can pick little idiosyncrasies of the horse or, or, or a group of horses even, you know. So it's, yeah, it's um, the, the equine, as you say, they can't tell you. Um, yep. So you've got to take you've got to take your cues. It's it's funny, you know. Like a, listen to someone like a David Warner, and he'll tell you. He said, I'm, "I've played that much cricket now that I know I actually don't need to hit a million cricket balls a day. I might go in and hit five and go right. I'm good, you know." And Luke, you talk about Luke McCarthy. Like he, he would he would admit that at the end of the King of King of Swings career, he wasn't training the horse anywhere near as hard as he would early because it was just. The horse knew, and it's just maintaining that fitness base, and then keep them happy. The similarities, I think, there in sort of saying, "Well, this horse is good enough to go out and compete." Now, he even said at the awards the other night, he said, "If we took that horse out on the track now, he'd go around and probably yeah, go pretty three good." Weeks. Yeah, three I reckon. Weeks. So it's you just see him keeping that like base there, up and, and just down his the skills all the time. up, yeah, and being ready to it go. It is, yeah, you know, yeah. and there's, you know, a lot of it, but that's. You know, there's other people that do things different ways too. You know, there's as I said before, there's no one particular way, but you know, like there is, there are signs, and you know, like that, there are signs to, you know, to to go hard, go harder, go softer. You know, like and, and it is, it is a very, very much. So you got to build that aerobic base, yes, like you said. Absolutely, you? that's that's the critical part. Yeah, yeah. I want to just go back to your gold medal story. Mm-hmm. How does a Group One compare? To winning an Olympic gold medal, can you compare it? Um, you can, yeah, yeah. The elation's there, like. But the best way for me to describe it is that an Olympic gold medal, I was in control of. Um, you know, I had I had particular outputs in that game that made it possible, or you know, like that I might have made a mistake, but I mean that was, you know, rectified by someone else. Um, but with uh, a Group One race, all the work's done, and then it's taken out of your hands, uh, yeah. which is really—it's hard for you know. I'm pretty cruisy, but I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to my horses. Um, and then to be able to hand over, like it's—it's it's really weird. Like you do all this work, and you know the horse is right, and then they step out on the racetrack, and you're not in control. Um, so it's—it's it's a different. It's there's um there's an anxiety that goes with it. Like I get real real nervous. Um, before races um and it and as i said before it doesn't matter whether it's you know a maiden at pinjara or whether it's a, a it's a allied sprint or you know whatever um so that's that's the difficult part is um is handing the reins over to someone else and that's it's a different elation if that makes sense um but i gladly take both of them any day of the week that's for sure you know yeah. they are they're both are really really humbling experiences um and something that you never ever uh can take for granted you know like um because i know how hard it, I, I know how hard it was to win a gold medal and i know how hard it is and how many like i guess the thing you got to think about is who has come before you and hasn't been able to achieve 
um, you know, a gold medal, for example. You know, we're talking greats of the game in Terry Walsh, Rick Charlesworth, yeah. the Pierce brothers, you know, all these sort of guys. You've got to understand what they, how much time they'd put in it, and they hadn't been able to achieve it. And that was, you know, amazing for me. And then you look at winning a group one, there's been so many, so many good trainers um, throughout the time that haven't won a group one. You know, I'll be fortunate enough to win six. Um, so, one, yeah, and I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit like you. I'm, I'm a sports buff. I'm a, you know, I'm, I love the Olympics. I love watching sport. I, I love racing. I love horse racing. I love, I love the greyhounds. I love, love the trots. And I just like you, you when you put into perspective what you know, like every now and then, what I've, like, what I've been very, very, very lucky to achieve. Um, that makes it really cool when you sit down and reflect on a gold medal or a group one. You know, like it's hard. It, I've gone. We've gone round and round in circles. I haven't been able to give you the, the right answer, but because yeah. I, I can't, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I really, so I really can't split. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's really hard to articulate. Um, so, and we've kind of jumped forward and jumped back, but I want to. How do you get into like when you were playing hockey before you were a trainer and hockey was your thing, and that was was horse the horses just an interest, or did you have a long thing? Right when I'm finished up with this hockey caper, maybe I might sort of. Have a crack at being a horse trainer? Or? No, well, I, I, I grew up with horses. My uncle was a gallops trainer in Toowoomba. Um, and anyone that knows Toowoomba knows it's, it's not an easy task getting up early in the mornings oh, in Toowoomba in winter. Cold, yeah. <laughs> um, but I used to love going up the stables and helping my uncle out and, you know, like just getting in the way more than anything. Um, and I just, I just loved, the, loved the horses. And to think that I was – there was never really any – it wasn't a, a path – that I was, that I was um, sort of heading towards at all. During uh, the 2004 Athens preparation, I was um, giving Karen, Karen Kersley and, and Fred um, just a hand, just to, it was my getaway. Like, it was my step away from, from the training and, you know, because like it it's not just training, you know, you've got all your, all your video sessions, all your, your 24-7 thinking hockey. Um, so that was my getaway. So how, um, how do you even meet the Kersleys? Because you, um, you go over to WA for hockey. Like, do you? Uh, I, I was, you know, obviously just through uh, like through Adam, and then we had horses with um, had horses with um, Justin Warwick. Right. Um, so just a quite, yeah, you know, just and just yeah, just get yeah, connections. connections yeah. You know, just and yep. that's the thing about like trotting people or, or, or racing people in general. Yep. is once you meet someone, you meet someone else, yep. and then you sort of. Your networks, you know, just grow it, it just and grows and, and grows exponentially, it. and and you meet you meet lifetime friends. Yep. You know, like we, you can walk away from a trip, a trip to the trots, having met someone, and ten years later, you're still in contact with them all the time. And you know, where whenever you know, whenever they're back in town, or you're in town, or, or one of your mates is in town, can catch up with them. You know, like it's it's a it's a really cool, really cool, um, really cool thing to have. Yeah. So you went and sort of dipped your toe in the water in between Sydney and Athens. So yeah. then you, you go back to hockey. But when you go back, do you think, well, I'm going back for a little bit, but I'm probably going to be a horse trainer? Or when, when does this start to become uh, a career? No, the, the career thing was definitely yeah. post, post right. Athens. Definitely post Athens. Do you know um, what, it, was it, what else was on the table? If it wasn't uh, oh, I, I could have gone back to Europe and played. Um, coaching was always on the table. Um, but I would have been a very ordinary coach, I think. Right. So what what were you doing? What what was what was work look? What did work look like when during uh, the hockey was, days? What were I was um, I, I started a couple of courses and I think I was about one unit short of finishing my journalism degree. 
about two units short of finishing my financial planning degree. Yeah. Um, but just got bored with them. Yeah. Um, and you know, journalism was early, early. Yeah. Um, and then I went and, you know, like you, you start – at that stage I hadn't broken into the national team, so it was – you know, and the online courses weren't available, you know, back in those days. So it was, you know, like, and then one, the hockey sort of took over, and I'll, I won't worry about the study for the minute, and then sort of never really got back into it. And um, so, and then I was working for, I worked for Westpac. Uh, I worked for Commonwealth Bank and for Westpac. Um, what were you but, doing there? Uh, I was doing loans processing uh, for Commonwealth Bank, and then with Westpac for, uh, when I was working for them, I was one of their promotional athletes. So I was right. doing a lot of, a lot of talking to, yep, yep. Yeah, all that sort of stuff, but I was also doing um, writing, just writing contracts for liabilities and... Jeez, I bet you missed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and every bad day I have at home on the farm is three times better than my <laughs> best day in the office. Liability contracts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fascinating. Gee, you could have ended up at the Toowoomba Chronicle. Yeah, imagine that. I nearly ended up there. Um, straight out of uni. Yeah, so no, that was another thing, mate. I never really knew what I wanted to do. You know, I, I, I had... I've, you know, anyone who knows me or has known me for a long time knows how cruisy and relaxed I am. And, you know, the only times I'm driven about too many things are when it involves something that's really important to me, yep. uh, like my horses or my hockey. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or the family, you know, like so. Um, I'd never sort of that. I was, oh, I'll worry about it when I'm done um, type thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. like something will, fall, something will land in my lap, um, you know, and it did. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, I think what sport arms you with, Jess, is, is discipline. You know, and, and I think this really, a lot of times athletes I hear walk out of their pro- professional career and go, what have I got? And then I've had conversations with, I've been really fortunate to meet a lot of people through being a sports journey previously to this. And, and you sort of, when you actually sit down and talk and you go, well, you did this. All right, well, let's look at that. The transferable skills out of that are discipline. You work hard. You know what it takes to succeed. You know, so you start to really pick it apart and they realise actually how marketable they are and how employable they are without necessarily having that piece of paper to say, yeah, I've, I've sat in a uni classroom and didn't turn up for half the course, you know, which is like yeah, what a lot of uni students do. You know? So there, I think there's a lot of transferable skills out of that and you would have learnt so much because that's a disciplined unit that Australian hockey set oh, up. Definitely. You know, and even the fact that you've got to relocate and everyone's got to be in Western Australia to be able to do it. That in itself has become a lifestyle for you, isn't it? Because that's obviously where we see you based now. And yeah, 100%. Yeah, you fell in love with the place, obviously. Yeah, de- definitely. It's, um, it's, a, it's a great place to live. Um, and especially where we are now, just, uh, you know, just out of Pinjarra, um, you wake up every morning, go and, sit on, go and sit on the veranda, have a coffee, look out over the paddock, you look at I'm Victorious, and then you look at a, a lake and you look at the gum plantation and... No, it's, it's a pretty cool place to live. Yeah. It really is. And and you're close enough. Like, we're only half an hour away from Mandra, an hour from Perth. Um, you know, so you've got everything you need, but you've got that country living that's just, you know, priceless. You know, yeah. I, grew up, I grew up on, you know, in a country town um, before it became a big town. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, that's the way I, that's why I want to bring my boys up, is, yep. you know, having that country lifestyle. And, yeah. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's a good, way, good cool. way to look at life, mate. Gee, you met some people along the way, haven't you? You would have... I, I imagine coming out of an Olympic campaign where you win a gold medal, yeah, you're probably shaking hands with some top brass that are way out of Jess and my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, well, I had, uh, had a very interesting one, actually, um, after Athens, you know, because we were, we were pretty much, yeah, I went from having the, 
the drinks in the strange room with Eelsie to collecting gold medal, shot, shot straight off to the media centre, did an interview for Sunrise with a couple of the other boys. Um, and then sort of by that time, it's sort of you're rolling into halfway through the middle of the day. Um, and you know, like, and then by, by then you're sort of catching up with all the other, all the other um, members of the, of the Australian team. Um, and then, then night, the afternoon comes around, well, it's time to crack a beer. <laughs> uh, so we went, we had a, had a really good night with all the, all the family and friends that were, of all the athletes that were there. Um, and then a couple of us sort of shot off on our own different, own different paths. And I was with a guy, uh, Grant Schubert, who's a um, South Australian kid. And we went to a bar. Um, obviously, we had the VIP gold, the, the gold credit card around the neck still. Um, and we went to this bar and I was just walked into this bar. I'm not sure whether you've heard this story or not. I think um, I know where you're going, but keep going. I haven't. You haven't? I okay. Haven't. I need to hear this. All right. So we, we, we're, um, <laughs> like, we're pretty deep into a big session. Pretty deep in, um, and I'm standing on one side of the bar, and I said to Shuvi, "Said, look, mate, I just got to go to the toilet. I'm going to go." And I looked across the room towards where the toilets were, and there was a guy that looked like Brad Pitt. <laughs> I said to Shuvi, "I'm just going to go to the toilet. I'll check this out." So I went to the toilet, come back, I said, "Shuvi, come on, we're going. We've got to go and see this." So I went across and I put out my hand because he was obviously he was in the VIP area as well. Um, I put out my hand and said, how's it feel to be the second most attractive man in Athens? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so that, was, that was pretty cool. And we had photos taken. It was in oh, was on, like, Woman's Weekly or New yep. Idea or something like that as well. Um, that, was, that was pretty cool. Um, and we just sat there having a bud. You know, having a Budweiser with, with Brad Pitt, me, Shubi, in his mind. You know, it was, it was, was really it Brad cool. Pitt? The, the jury's out the on it. The jury's this. out on it. Was it actually Brad Don't Pitt? Don't know. I'm hearing it's not. <laughs> I, I heard, yeah, I've heard the same thing. Um, Which is even better. Even better. Even <laughs> Makes better. the women's magazines. Yeah. <laughs> it was, um, yeah. How many, how many blokes have been told they look like Brad Pitt after someone's been on a, on a two-day bender? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People have thought someone looks like Brad Pitt. Yeah. No, nah, it's fantastic, mate. Um, I did hear that story. It came from, a, as I said, a mutual acquaintance. And he said to make sure you ask about it, but you've brought it up before me. So... Um, yeah, what a life you've lived, mate! And it's yeah. only it's only getting started. Only getting started, you know. Yeah. Like we've, you know, I've, I've yeah, I'm, I've been very blessed with the life I've lived. There's been a lot of ups and downs, you know. Obviously, going through cancer, um, beating cancer, um, you know, uh, you know, you go through all those sort of things, and it only makes you stronger and it makes you enjoy. You know, these 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 little trips away, for example, it, it makes you appreciate how special it is and how lucky you are. And one thing I've never ever forgotten is that is how fortunate I am to have lived the life I live. Um, and you're trying, you know, like people can, you know, people can love you or they can hate you. I don't care either way. Um, but you want to give everyone the opportunity to be as fortunate as I have. You know what I mean? And you know, giving the owners the opportunity to bring that horse across and watching on TV. You know, for a lot of them, that's that's a huge that's a huge thing in their life. You know, so you're giving the people the opportunity to do that. You know, like um, that uh, Penny Tiger winning the four-year-old classic was um, a massive thing for the guy that drove him in the race, Trent Wheeler. You know, he doesn't do a lot of driving in town. The owners and I give him the, the opportunity to drive this horse in these big races, and to him, it was it, it was mind blowing. Um, so you just you know like. I like to look at life that way. Um, you know, I've, you know I've, I've beaten cancer. I've, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to win a gold medal. I've been lucky enough to train Group 1 winners. I've done a lot of sh- crappy things as well in between, you know, like just... But being able to pass on 
exciting moments to other people. And even just a p- bloke in the pub watching your horse, you know, whether it be I'm victorious or the bloke in the pub that messages you and says, oh, can this win today? And you say, yeah, I think it can, you know, and he has his 10 bucks on and tells his mates, who then tell their mates that they got tipped one, you know, like just yeah. simple things like that. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's so cool. a positive influence yeah. on other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no matter why it, yeah, the way it magnifies itself, yeah. Um, ever pick up a hockey stick, mate? Ever get back out? Ever? No, well, Bindi, um, Belinda and um, JD uh, went for tryouts last week and they, uh, we didn't get around to doing any, doing any training sessions. But no, I don't. Um, I, you know, I sort of have put that um, chapter to bed. Um, but don't have a great desire to go and do it again because I know I couldn't do it at anywhere near the level I was well, the level I was at, so it just it just frustrate the hell out of me. You think you got a couple of hockey players there with the twins? Oh, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> it ruins your golf swing. Or a golf club. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a bit more money in it, mate. It's been fascinating to talk through your, your journey, not only in our sport but um, you know right across the Australian sporting landscape. It's um, you know it's a pleasure to sit down and you know look you. You are in the, the record books of a, one of the most memorable moments in Australian sport, but better than that, I think people can reflect on, you know, good people in Australian sport. That's, yeah, I think that's more important than, than achievements and gold medals. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been an absolute yeah. privilege to hear it today. I sense, I sense we're going to see you back next year with Penny Tiger and uh, and maybe, you know, having a crack at trying to be one of these photos, one of the on, the, photos on these on the walls. walls. Yeah, that would be a dream country. Yeah, yeah. They do it well here, don't they? They do. They do. It's 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 been that's what it's been fantastic for me personally to to get back here and just just be a part of this scene again. You know, like because it's so exciting. Um, and it's so nice. Like you come to the trots and you, you know, like it's it's different. But just to see the the quality of horses and that that go around. You know, it's it's really exciting as a, as a harness racing fan, let alone as a as a trainer. You know, I like just come and watch. You know, Captain Ravishing. You know, like. Come and see him live, you know. That's see on TV. That's yeah. so cool, you yeah. know. Like, and then just to to be able to go and see King of Swing, you know, like at Luke's place, you know, to, to like, and watch like the other morning. I watched. I, I sat there like a little kid watching Spirit of St. Louis and Expensive Ego work together, and just so excited by like it got goosebumps yeah. just watching them work. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just it like that's what that, and it's the Carnival of Miracles, and that's what it is, you know. It's just probably like a lot of kids used to do watching you play hockey, mate. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's and that's not. You know, that's not being, um, you know, silly about it at all. That's that's the reality of it. Uh, you're hanging around for the, the yearling sales. Uh, are you going shopping? Uh, we'll do our best. Yeah, yeah we'll do our best. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's a couple more sales to go, but uh, we'd like to try and get one or two from over here every year if we can. Yeah. Um, and it's been, you know, we bought um, Penny Tiger out of the Melbourne sale a couple of years ago. Um, we bought a very nice mare and Miss Boudicca out of the Sydney sale a couple of years ago. So, And we haven't been able to get across the sales for the last couple of years. So, it's um, yeah, now we'll be doing our best to, to take a couple home, that's for sure. 235 up for grabs. Spoke to a few of the breeders during the week and, um, yeah, the quality certainly there. That yeah, it looks, It's shaping up like a really, really good sale. Post-COVID, you know, it's a great opportunity for... Yeah, and, you know, obviously we get out there Friday and have a look at, you know, and that's just a great opportunity for everyone to get together again, you know, like just yeah. go and see this for the first time, I think, in a while that they've been able to do a parade, right. a proper one, and, you know, have, have everyone there. Good luck this weekend, mate, in the um, in the the big the big race. Obviously not the big race that you set your eyes on when, you, when you're here, but I think it's a great stepping stone for, 
for being part of that maybe next year. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, good on you. Great to spend some time with Michael Brennan. OAM, Jess. <laughs> OAM, don't forget it. <laughs> uh, to everyone, hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening to The Sprint Lane. We're going to keep bringing you uh, plenty of content as we build up to the Garrett's Miracle Mile on Saturday night here at Tagpool Park, Manangle. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will catch you next time on The Sprint Lane. Bye-bye.